Um, Malachi 3, 7, this big Bible is page 829, verse 7. Since the days of your ancestors, you have turned from my statutes. You've not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, said the Lord of armies. Yet you ask, how can we return? Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine in your field and will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of armies. Your word against me is harsh, said the Lord, yet you ask, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve God. What have we gained by keeping the requirements and walking mournfully before the Lord of armies? So now we consider the arrogant to be fortunate. Not only do those who commit wickedness prosper, they even test God and escape. At that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The Lord took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and had high regard for his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of armies, my own possession on the day I am preparing. I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son who serves him. So you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. All right, so uh, let's get into this text right here. Um, as you may know, we're going through the book of Malachi right now. Um, it's, it's our practice to go um, through, uh, through books of the Bible because uh, we want the Lord to set the tone and the, the, the discussion of what we're going to talk about. And I'm trying to pull up my sermon, and it's not working. It's about to get real, y'all. There it is. Whew, that's going to be rough. Um, all right, so... There was, there was one time I let an indi individual uh, borrow uh, something that was mine. He needed to use at his house, and I let him borrow it. And, you know, a week went by, and then, you know, another week went by. And I was like, where is my, where is my tool here? So I called him. I was like, yo, man, you got my stuff? And he got mad at me. What you mean do I got you? I'm like, it's mine. Which, why are you getting frosty with me? Like, like he kind of got real, real, like, uh, aggressive in his language. And I was very confused because I was like, I was trying to be nice to you. <laughs> now, think about that. Can you imagine somebody who borrows something from you and then acts like it's theirs? 
Yeah, you like, I, I got names. I got a list. Don't call nobody out now. <laughs> Bob, oops. <not> like <laughs> so so you, get, you get the idea. So here's, we understand that's strange. People shouldn't act like that. But I want to be clear that when we deal with our money like it's ours and not like it's God's, we are acting the exact same way. We being stingy with something that ain't even ours. We're not owners. We're, we're stewards. Meaning we don't, we don't own the things that we have. Everything that we have is a gift from the Lord. So, Lord, help us understand this. We're going to start in verse 7 with this, this, this kind of opening statement. Verse 7 says, Since the days of your ancestors, you have turned from my statues. You have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Yet you ask, how can I return? I want you to understand the grace that is in this verse right here. After years, decades, and centuries of rebellion, God still wants them to come to him. God has infinite patience. More patience than you or I. If someone keeps disrespecting me, there comes a day where I'm like, well, you can go on somewhere. But beloved, when God's people disrespect him day after day, month after year, month, year after year, God sits there ready with great patience and says, I want a restored relationship with you. The same, the same is true for us. You know, a lot of times I feel like we make a list of things that we have committed that would block us from God's grace. Maybe you haven't written this down, but it looms in your mind. What about this that I did? What about that that I said? What about this that I did not do? I want you to understand every list, every, every thought, every action that you could think about yourself, that you could say, this might disqualify me from God's grace. You need to understand that it is not. Every objection that you would bring to God, it says, I don't know if you'll accept me. God says, I will. Every time that you go, but do you remember what I did? Of course he remembers what you did, but he will accept you regardless. Nothing on your list of sins is beyond God's grace. Now, this grace is supposed to produce something in us. We, we understand this. Like if someone were to come and give you an extraordinary gift, you would be predisposed to be like, well, would you, can I help you too? You know, like, that was very nice of you to be kind to me. I, I would like to be kind to you as well. Now, listen, God really is after our hearts. He, he, he shows us great affection so that we in turn would show him great affection. In 1 John, it says that we love him because he first loved us. Now, when we get into the sticky topic of money, what we can understand is that our money shows where our hearts are. What we spend our money on demonstrates what we care about the most. We all are making deliberations with how we spend what we have. And you don't buy stuff that you hate. I hope not. That would be weird. But you go, uh, what do I need? What do I want? What would make my heart happy? 
how we use our money determines, and not just determines, but illustrates the kinds of priorities that our heart has. Look at verse 8. Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? And they're like, how do we rob you? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. You are, you are uh, suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Now, we have this phrase at the church. We say context is somebody. Y'all going to make context is? Okay, there it is. King. Key, king. We'll take either one. Context is king is what we usually say. So let's, let's back up and say, what is the context of the verse so we can understand exactly what's, what's going on? See, God made a covenant, a, a, a contract, if you will, with Israel as a nation. Deuteronomy 28, 1, it says, Now if you faithfully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all his commands I am giving you today, the Lord your God will put you far above the nations of the earth. So God made a covenant, a contract, an agreement with Israel, the nation. And if you look at Deuteronomy 28, you'll see these blessings of them fulfilling the part of their contract and the curses of them not fulfilling it. But you need to understand it pertained to them primarily, listen, as a nation. So the blessings and the cursings uh, have to do with economics. They have to do with uh, politics. They have to do with foreign policy. Now listen, the church is God's people, but not a nation. So this covenant, this agreement has been modified. It's not the same thing as the Old Testament. Okay, so, so we need to ask ourselves, what is the same about the relationship with God and his people in the Old Testament and us? And what is different about the relationship with God's people in the Old Testament and with us? So what is the same is, is God has made a covenant to bless them and he has made a covenant to bless us. And not only that, the blessing that God gives to us is not just for us. It's a sign to those who are on looking of what it means to be in relationship with him and the benefits that it has to be in relationship with God. Now, what is different? See, the church's unity is not national. Yeah? There are Christians in almost every country, if I'm not mistaken. There are Christians of every hue, of every color. So the church's unity is not national, but it's spiritual in Christ. So the blessings, get this, are primarily spiritual. The blessings are primarily spiritual. Listen, this is the key to understanding the, the Old Testament. This is how we don't mess it up. When you read the Old Testament and you're thinking, how does this apply to me? You need to think, well, I am not in uh, Israel. I'm not in a country that has a covenant with God. This is one of the primary ways that we can understand the differences between the two Testaments. But we have these blessings that are spiritual in Christ. Ephesians 1, 3, it says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. What I love about that chapter, it begins to illustrate and list off all the blessings that we have. See, we have been blessed in God the Father, that God the Father saw us in our sin and decided to make a plan to save us. We are blessed in the Son and that the Son came down, lived a perfect life, and died in our place. And we are blessed in the Spirit that the Holy Spirit comes and makes the, the effects and the promises of God the Father and God the Son alive in our own hearts. Listen, this is a blessing that if, 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 if it was my opinion, is even better than economic or our political blessings because they're blessings that last forever. Amen. 
But there certainly are financial implications to the covenant with the people in the New Testament. There's some promises that he makes. Now, get this. The first one are, are spiritual. I want you to listen to this verse. This is Philippians 4.17. Now, I know I'm doing some teaching today. We're going to get to the preaching, but let me, let me teach a little bit. Philippians 4.17, it says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing in your account. The context is this. Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Philippi. Apostle Paul is a church-planting missionary. Now, I don't know if you understand this, but that does cost some money to go around planting churches. And so he's talking to the church in Philippi. He's like, listen, he's he's saying, man, y'all gave me a gift so I could keep this ministry going. And and what he's he's trying to frame is what is the benefit to them? He's saying, like, I'm not seeking just some, some money for me, but I'm seeking a profit that is increasing increasing in your account. In other words, spiritual obedience yields spiritual change. Holy habits help form holy character. So what I do with my money in the sense that I want to use it to honor God, it's not simply a financial transaction which I, you know, deposit and I get some sort of reward. No, 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 no. It is, it is a, a, an act of spiritual formation. The way that I use my money. If I use my money in a way that honors God, one of the profits is not simply money in my bank account coming back, but fruit in my character that produces change and holiness. He's saying if you use your money in a way that honors God, God is going to use that practice to form your heart in a way that would honor God. You see what I'm saying? It's very, it's very simple. Like, like there, there are some, some, I guess, transactional aspects of prayer. Like you ask for stuff expecting that God would answer. But there also is a formational aspect. That when we pray or any other spiritual discipline, when we pray, when we read, when we fellowship, it's not just we're looking at transactionally, but God uses those functions and those actions to actually work on our own hearts so that we would look more like him. So not only is there a spiritual benefit, He actually promises to provide for our needs. Philippians 4.19. This is a good promise, y'all. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now listen, I told you that the covenant is not primarily about politics. It's not primarily about economics. But God does promise to provide what you need. And the way that we use our money and seeking to do it in a way that honors him, it is a confession that we believe that he will take care of us. Now, listen, I, I don't, I, can I be a little real with y'all? I'm going to be a little real. Listen, my family has lived in government housing before. I have been in a situation where I did not have a lot of money. But I wanted to take the scriptures seriously. And I wanted to honor God with my money. And when we didn't have a lot, we still gave. And I want y'all to understand something. God always provided every single thing that we needed. I'm not saying I was rolling, but I'm saying, look, my kids were never hungry. I always had clothes. I always had the things that I needed so that I could work. Listen, I'm telling you, this is not a promise just for those who are rich. This is a promise for those who are Christian, that if I would honor God with my money, he will take care of my needs. We can see, starting in verse 10, that God actually, he wants to supply our needs. It says, bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine in your field will not 
fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. Now, let's, let's back up for a minute. He's talking about some sort of storehouse. Like, what, what, what is he talking about? What are the funds and the food and the storehouse used for? They're used for a couple things in the Old Testament. One of the first things they're used for is to support the ministry. Right? That, like, that there are priests and Levites, people who work in the temple, tending to the animals, doing the sacrifices, offering the prayers. The Levites are guarding the temple. I mean, I imagine they probably, you know, had to clean it up too. I mean, there's a, probably a lot of aspects of this temple, but it is for the ministry, for the upkeep of the temple. And that you're like, well, that's pretty clear. But it also was to support the less fortunate. Listen to Deuteronomy 26, 12. It says, when you have finished paying all the tenth of your produce in the third year, the year of the tenth, you are to give it to the Levites, resident aliens, fatherless children, and widows, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Listen, I, look, I, we, sometimes we put, like, we, we put worship of God and, and helping others sometimes in, in oddly separate categories. And it seems like you have churches that are like, this is about the glory of God. Let's be spiritual. And you got churches who are like, let's go help the needs. And I'm trying to tell you that that divorce is not scriptural. That is not a scriptural way to do it. Listen, we worship God. We honor God. And the evidence that we do that is how we treat other people. And so, listen, God has this concern. He says, I want my people to worship me rightly. And I want my people to help those in need. I mean, I want them to do both of those things. We can see that God cares for the needs, particularly of these people, the ones who are less fortunate, the resident aliens, the fatherless, the children, the widows. This is, this is, look, look, look at the care that God has. Let me just say this. We hit different points at different times. Look at the care he has for the ethnic minority and the recent immigrant. Y'all see that? Y'all see that? I want you to make sure they got something to eat. He ain't say kick them out. All right, so I'm going to say about that. Look, look, look at the care. Look at the care that God has for these people in these categories where they would be less fortunate. They would not be able to provide for what they needed, and they would, they would not just mesh in with the majority. God says, I want you to care for those people. Now, what are the funds in the church used for? I got a couple things. First one is ministry workers. First Corinthians 9, 14, it says, In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. And my kids say, thank you. Okay? Yeah, they got some food. Okay, thank you. Thank you all for giving. Now, <laughs> so listen, some in the church are appointed to minister the word to prayer and to care. And listen, this is a great and beautiful honor. Listen, can't ever, all y'all can't answer emergencies all day, yeah? Listen, people hit spiritual crisis, physical crisis, emotional crisis. People hit hard times. And because of the giving of the church, I and other staff can respond immediately. Listen, I want you to understand something. There is ministry, spiritual ministry that goes down in this building almost every day. It's not just on Sunday and not just on Wednesday when we meet. Beloved, people come in need of prayer. They come in need of understanding this God who has created them. And because of the giving of the church, we can have people here to respond to those needs. Listen, it is an honor to serve God. And it's an, an honor in a, sense, in a sense, I feel like I, I, it's not just because I'm cool that I get to do this, but I'm a representative of you all being able to say, listen, though I have to be at work and I got to do this, that, and the other, we're going to make sure that somebody is here to care for people when they are need. Amen. Love, that's, that's, that's a spiritual worship. So we, the, the ministry workers need funds with uh, ministry upkeep. Y'all, you know, somebody got to pay for the lights, Yeah. 
Let's just get practical, right? You know, like there, there is physical things that need to be taken care of. But again, the things that we take care of, they are, they are to service those who are around us. So again, almost every day, not only do people come here asking for spiritual help, we print off resumes. We help people fill out applications. Uh, people come and, and do foster care business. We use this thing for, we want to upkeep it, not just so that we can have somewhere to be on Sundays, but so that there is a base in which all of us contribute and say this is where we can serve those who have need. Thirdly, we, we, we give so that we can fund the furtherance of the gospel through church planting and missionary work. Our church exists because some churches decided to partner together to fund us so that we could begin. Beloved, we get, listen, right now we're supporting Jay Will, who's in uh, Columbia planting a church in a community much like our own. Because we think God deserves to be worshipped everywhere. And so we want to make sure that we put our funds that demonstrate that. And lastly, beloved, we give so that we can help those who have fallen on hard times. Galatians 2.10 I love Galatians 2. Was Paul, he's, he's going to the people who were apostles before him. He's going to, to John and Peter. And basically the question is, hey, hey, we preaching the same thing, right? That's, that's the content. We preaching the same thing? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we preaching the same thing. Then it says in verse 10, they asked, the apostles asked Paul, they asked only that we would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. I want you to understand this. The second thing they asked after, are you preaching right, is do you help the poor? That is the second, that's the second thing. It's not something on way down the list. He's like, I'm glad you're preaching right, but you need to remember this too. And so we have, our church has a benevolence fund, and we, by God's grace, get to help people tangibly. We've helped pay people's bills. We've helped people stay in their homes. We've helped people with resumes. We've given them, helped them with equipment in order for them to do their job. Beloved, this is not hypothetical. This is real life. And that's that's one of the reasons that you give so that our church can be able to help. Listen, we have um, people in our church who are entering the foster journey. And listen, y'all, this might seem small. But our church is able to provide them with diapers and pull-ups and funds for the extra stuff they need. Listen, this is, it's, it's not pretty, it's not hyper-theological, but it is very practical. And we give so that we can honor the Lord, preach the gospel, and serve those who are in need. What I love about this, this verse here in, uh, in, in, in verse 10 and, and following, we see that God will fulfill his promises to bless Israel. He will bless and protect the word. Now, I've heard a lot of people preach about this text. You know, he's going to open the floodgates, you know, and they, they, they go any type of direction. But, y'all, it's literally talking about rain, okay? Like, because they was farmers. <laughs> he's saying, I'm going to give you some rain so that you can do your job. And he says, I'll protect, protect the devourer. What's he talking about? Yo, if locusts come, it messes up their crop. He's like, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to give you the things that you need so that you can do your job. And I'm going to protect you so that you can do your job well. Listen, God, just like he fulfilled his promises to them, will fulfill his promises to us. That he will take care of our needs. That he will produce fruit in us. And that he will call others to himself through our life and through our words. See, God's relationship with his people is supposed to be a witness to others. Look at verse 12. It says, then all the nations will consider you fortunate, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of armies. Now, I want you all to remember the context. He is not saying all the nations will think y'all are cool because you're driving Bentleys. 
That's not what he's saying. It does, 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 does not Listen, but, but remember the whole context. If the people are faithful to fulfill their obligations to the Lord and to one another, we see a land where God is worshiped, the work is blessed, and the underserved are helped. Is that not beautiful? This is a picture of what the church should be. That God is worshiped not just on Sundays, but that our character is transformed. And that when people have some need, that it is provided for. And that we would produce whatever we need to produce to help our community thrive. If this is the picture of the church, when someone who was not in the church would look at the church, they would say, that looks pretty cool. Beloved, it's not that we can flash whatever we have to one another, that we have expensive watches or whatever, whatever. No, 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 no. It's so that we would use our money in such a way that we worship God. We take his word seriously. We help one another out and we serve our community. And if that is happening, those who would look at what is happening here would say, man, who is this God? Who is this God that reorients people's lives to seek holiness and helping other people? We look at verse 14 and we say, we don't, we don't just repent for temporary gain. Look at verse 14. You have said it is useless to serve God. What have we gained by keeping his requirements and walking mournfully before the Lord of armies? So now we consider the arrogant to be fortunate. Not only do those who commit wickedness prosper, they even test God and escape. Now, again, this is another contemporary uh, rebuke of this passage. You, sometimes I hear this passage preached like, if you give, you're going to get rich. Literally, the next verse says, the next verse says, why are we serving God? Because he ain't blessed us. <laughs> That's what the very next verse says that, okay? And listen, what, what, what it is, it's, it's, it's a rebuke that we don't think God is merely a transaction. He's not a bank. He's not an investment company. No, we give out of worship. And they're saying, well, I didn't get my return immediately, so maybe I shouldn't be serving God. And that reveals that the heart was wrong in the first place. See, they, they complained about this perception that the wicked, wicked prosper. Like, you talking that we're supposed to give to you? Well, look at all of them over there. They ain't doing nothing for you. And it looked to me like they're doing just fine. So I don't know if I want to give to you, God. That's literally what's, what's going on in this text. He says it's useless to serve God. Why are we walking around mournfully? In other words, like, why are we, why are we doing repentance? Now, listen, that shows right there it was fake repentance. They putting on the show trying, trying to get God to bless them. God's like, no, that, that, ain't, that ain't what I'm trying to do. They complained about the perception that the wicked prospered. In other words, they're like, yeah, does God see? The other day I was reading in the Psalms, and Psalm 50 has this long, long description of people who are not obeying God in various ways. And in verse 21 it says, you have done these things, not obeyed me. I kept silent. You thought I was just like you, but I will rebuke you and lay out my case before you. No, no, no. Maybe he doesn't respond immediately. That doesn't mean that his judgments are not consistent. Now, I preached about this last week. Y'all go on the podcast. I talked about it more last week. All right, so moving on. True repentance, true repentance, y'all, sees judgment day. Look at verse 16. At that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The Lord took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and had high regard for his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of armies, my own possession on the day I'm preparing. 
I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on the son who serves him. So you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. In other words, he's saying, listen, y'all get mad because y'all feel like y'all ain't getting the return on, on investment that you think you're supposed to get. And that lets me know that you care primarily about temporal gain. And the challenge from the scripture is that we obey God with the long term in mind, with eternity in mind. You know, when, when Apostle Paul is, is about to die, this is the context of the book of 2 Timothy. He has spent his life serving God. He is in jail. He is about to die. In 2 Timothy 4, 8, he says, There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. He's saying, though it might not look like I'm getting blessed right now for serving God, there will come a day where it will be clear to me and and everybody else that I served him, that he would present me with a crown. And listen, not only to the cool people like Apostle Paul, but to everybody who looked forward for his coming, to everybody who loves that event. You know, so there's this juxtaposition in the text. There's, there's some people talking about, well, we ain't going to give our money because look at the wicked. And then look, 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 verse 16 says, at, those, at that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. So there's a conversation, but those who follow the Lord said, now let's have a different conversation. Let's not only look to temporal gain. Let's have a different conversation. Listen, the works that we do in obedience, they're not just so that we can get something in our pocket, but it's so that on the final day, we are on the right side. That on the final day, we hear an affirmation from the Lord. Y'all, that means we got to remind each other the truth. We're going to have times in this life where we're discouraged, where we feel like God is not showing up. When we look at everybody else and say, it seems like they're doing just fine. They don't care nothing about the Lord. It says, at that point, then we need to talk to one another and say, no, we don't live for this day. We live for the day that is coming. We live with eternity in view. Beloved, we know that all this culminates in what Jesus has done. You know, this text is talking about being stingy with, with the money, that in reality, one of the reasons God's people give is a signifier that says, I realize that not just what I gave you, but the whole thing is yours. That, that's what it's signifying. See, the problem of sin is thinking that you are the master of your life and your stuff. That is the problem of sin. I can do what I want with what's mine. And God says, it's not yours, though. In fact, if you are in Christ, it says, you are not your own. You can't live like what you got is just for you. You live for who? For the glory of God. And the issue of sin is that none of us, none of us have lived for the glory of God because we thought our life was our own, our decisions was our own, our thoughts were our own, and whatever we did was just what we wanted to do. But then there comes Christ, the perfect man, who lived 100% for the glory of God the Father, who, who, who lived a life that demonstrated that he realized that as a man, everything that he had actually belonged to the one above. And this one, the one who finally got it right, that is the one who died on the cross. 
That is the one whose, whose, whose hands were pierced. That is the one who bled for us, the one who got it right. Why? Because he died in our place. The scripture says that he bought and redeemed us with his own precious blood and that he rose from the get dead to continue to ensure that his people would be blessed. Beloved, that's the one that we serve. And when we consider the fact that he died because of what we have done, then we better look at our lives and say, it's not mine anymore. My, my, my thoughts, my, my possessions, my money, nothing is mine anymore because without the blood of Jesus, where would I be? So, so what are we to do with this text? We would remember the words of Jesus when he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So we say, well, we love God because of what he has done. And Jesus will say to us, where your treasure is, is where your heart will be. Now, I'm going to answer a question that sometimes people think. They're like, people be like, in New Testament times, like, do we tithe or do we give? How much do we give? I'm going to just give you some thoughts on that. In the Old Testament, it was pretty clear, a tenth, a tithe. Tenth is 10%, okay? They, they, they would say, hey, hey all, my, all your money's mine, and the way you demonstrate that is by giving me 10%. Now, the people were like, well, what does the new, new covenant do to that? I'll just give you another example. In the Old Testament, they said you shouldn't murder. So you're like, in the New Testament, we probably shouldn't murder. But do you remember what Jesus said about that? You have heard it said that you should not murder. But I say to you, whoever hates his brother in his heart has committed murder in his heart, or, or the same about lust or adultery. You have heard it said, you've heard it written that you shouldn't commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman with lust in his heart has committed adultery in his heart. So I want you to understand, whatever the command is, does Jesus increase it or decrease it? Y'all can answer. Does he increase it or decrease it? He, 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 okay, right? He like, the bare minimum, my friends, is that you don't kill nobody. Okay, that's the, but, but what would be better <laughs> is that you don't hate people. Okay. The bare minimum, my friends, is that you would tie. But what would be better is if you'd be generous. Now, you deal with that in the Lord. I ain't going to tell you what to do, but that, that is the trajectory of what he does with the text. We want to be generous with everything that we have. And one of the things I love is that this passage in dealing with money isn't just about like individuals in the Lord, right? He's talking to the community that, that there's, a, there's a pooling of the money together to accomplish what God wants to accomplish, yeah? It's not just you and the Lord, it's us and the Lord. And so the call is that we would commit to his people through service, mission, and giving. Not, not Listen, why? Why? Because we want the gospel to be preached. We want lives to be changed. And we want those who are in need to get help, do we not? And that is demonstrated by our giving. The last thing I'll say is this. You know, we're, we're, we're doing this time of, of uh, Lent, and we've been trying to focus on fasting, prayer, and giving. Those are kind of the three parts of Lent. And we have this, this Lent offering that we're doing, and it's not to raise money for the church. It's so that we could give it to two organizations that are near us that, are, that, that honestly need help and that do good. You got the Carolina High School Athletics, and they, listen, I, I done been there. They, they just need money for, for the regular stuff to do athletics. Ain't that right, Tom? 
He like they just need some pads and stuff, okay? <laughs> like they, they look, this is regular, but listen, listen, why why is it that way? It's because of the composition of, of our county. Where all of the, the, the people who might be left less fortunate have gotten pulled in one place. And so if we are the people of God, it's pretty clear what, what how does God feel about those who are underserved? Well, you should help them. <laughs> Not only that, we're going to uh, give uh, another half of it to the Julie Valentine Center. And that they work with people who have been victims of trafficking and abuse. I think it's pretty clear that God cares about them. And so the challenge to you is, if you say, I recognize that God bought everything, all of my life, then it matters what I do with my money. And am I going to honor the Lord with my money? And how I do demonstrates what I really think more than what I say. Beloved, there is grace for you. There is grace for you. So if you're like, I ain't never gave nothing, well, give some. <laughs> I ain't never, I ain't never, are, you're like, I can't do 10%. That's fine. You, look, you get with the Lord. You say, Lord, how can I be generous? You lead me. And we're going to work together to make sure that the gospel is preached, and that those who need help are helped. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I'm amazed that when I open your word, it touches every topic. There's no part of our lives that have been left unaddressed. There's no part of our lives that are simply our own. And at the same token, there's no part of our lives that have not been redeemed by your blood. And so, Lord, would you help us to receive and to thank you for all the redemption that we have gotten because of your blood that has been spilled? And would you help us to live, to serve, and to give in such a way that demonstrates that is true? Lord, we thank you that you have these promises in the text that in our obedience, you will work out holiness. And in our obedience, you will provide all that we need. I ask these things for the glory of God the Father, in the name of God the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.